Welcome to the Pinch to Zoom podcast, the show where we zoom in on the latest tech products, news, and trends. I'm Stetson. I'm Gabe. And in this episode, we're focusing on the new smartphones in 2020 from the latest smartphone manufacturers and the biggest releases we're expecting. But first, Gabe, uh, what is some unsolicited tech advice you have for our listeners? I think it'd be good to start off. You know, we love tech. Is, is there a product you've been using in the past couple of weeks that you want to give a shout out to? My tech tip would be selling on Facebook Marketplace. I have been doing this a lot as I plan to move out to LA, you know, decluttering, getting rid of some old products. And Facebook Marketplace is actually one of the best things I think about Facebook. It's like a improved Craigslist, not quite as scary, but still the advantage of A, not paying a percentage to eBay or PayPal or something like that, and also not having to ship a product. So that's my uh, unsolicited tech advice. Do you have any from you? You know, I, I think I can just piggyback right off of that. Like uh, my tech advice is if you're looking for a new phone or a new gadget and you're on more of a budget, uh, like check out Facebook Marketplace or check out eBay or check out Swappa. Like consider buying gently used because you can often get really good deals even just on last year's tech. Uh, like and the phone from last year is still phenomenal. It's still got the latest specs and all that. And you can get uh, often a great deal online from someone like Gabe who maybe no longer needs it or is looking to upgrade to the absolute bleeding edge and can afford that kind of thing. So I think I think those go together. Sell your old stuff online and then consider buying it from one of those used marketplaces as well for uh, win-win situations all around. Yeah, well, I mean, there's always new stuff coming out. It's hard to stay upgraded to it. So maybe just buy something that you know will work and then stay with that for a while. Uh, but it is February now. We're you know already January one twelfth of the year has gone by. We have Mobile World Congress coming up, so that's why we're talking about cell phones in this episode. You know it'll be very exciting this month seeing all the Android phones come out and possibly some leaks on the new iPhone nine coming out in March. But before we do that, I think we should probably talk about some news, right? Absolutely. Uh, the quick news segment is where we dive into the latest uh, news and trends in the past couple of weeks. So let's get into it. This is. Quick, quick, news, news, quick, news, quick news, quick news, quick news, quick news. And before we actually get started, this is a Gen 2. Well, actually, it's a 1.75 build of Quick News. It's a slightly faster processor, a little updated. So we're going to try to speed through this and actually make it really quick news and not uh, Quick News Extended XL Edition. Gabe, what do we have first on Quick News? So first up, uh, you actually might have seen the ad during the Super Bowl. We're recording this before the Super Bowl, but it is the fact that GMC is going to be bringing the Hummer back from the dead, but this time it's electrified. So we're going to possibly see this in uh, 2022, and this will be a truck that is actually going to have a thousand horsepower, do zero to 60 in less than three seconds. And yeah, have that really aggressive military style Hummer look. So any any other notes on the Hummer? I mean, this is obviously something aimed directly at the, you know, the Tesla Cybertruck. You know, they see that market trucks are very, very lucrative, uh, very, you know, you can pretty have pretty high prices on them and people will still buy them. But, you know, you still get the benefit of all that electric power in there as well. So, yeah, keep an eye out for that. That's first thing up on quick news, quick news, quick news. Quick news. Uh, all right. Second thing up, Canon. We have a new rumored camera from Canon. This is the EOS R5. So this is anticipated to be announced on February 13th. It's packing super beefy specs. For those of you unfamiliar, the Canon EOS R 
was their first mirrorless camera, full frame mirrorless camera. It was pretty good for photography, uh, but for video, it really lacked. So the EOS R5, new rumored release, packing huge video specs. We're talking 8K 30 frames per second, 4K 120 frames per second, um, built-in Wi-Fi, new battery, launching July 2020. Um, and it's going to be a 45 megapixel full frame sensor with IBIS. Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be epic. Yeah, definitely look forward to seeing that. These are all just rumored specs, so keep an eye out for that when it comes out in February. But I'm really excited for that. Would you be picking this up for any price, Stetson? Gabe, I would be dreaming dreaming about it given these specs and what this camera could be packing. Uh, but of course, I think the best thing at this point is to wait and see what comes out. And uh, I think we have some other tech news from another camera, but this one flies. Yeah, this one's kind of like a poor one out for uh, Autel, their Evo 2 drone. It looks like history is repeating itself. You know, they have had production issues in the past. I know the Autel Evo, they originally announced it would have a, a one-inch sensor version. We never saw that come to the light of day. And this time it looks like the Autel Evo 2 is getting pushed back a little bit and we'll see how much that actually is going to be. They actually sent out an email or and a Facebook post to their, you know, followers and such saying like, yeah, we really appreciate the support and everything. However, we're having a software glitch and we don't want to push out a first day software update to all our people who purchase it. So we're actually going to push back the expected ship date and order date to March, which is a pretty big deal when considering how fast drone tech moves and stuff and with DJI, you know, trying to come out with the drone to follow up and match this. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't look too good. Uh, and I personally, I've always held this thing with any new drone companies or drone companies really trying to expand is don't count your drones before they hatch. As in, you know, don't think that this thing is actually going to be as good as they say it is until you actually have it in your hands or have seen a lot of people flying it. Yeah, that's so that that's it. That's quick news version 1.75. Yeah, I hope I think you that's enjoyed what it, was. it. And so. uh, I think we should just dive right into the the main topic, right? The the main topic, the upcoming smartphones in 2020. And Gabe, yeah, as you mentioned, we have Mobile World Congress coming up. Typically, a time where a lot of manufacturers uh, showcase the latest tech that they're putting into their phones and then the new release dates. Uh, typically only, actually only Android phones, I guess, because Apple does their own thing. Um, but but still exciting because we get more budget phones. We get uh, some interesting phones from like Nokia and other manufacturers you may typically hear less about. And then we also have, uh, I want to, does Samsung release phones there? Like maybe Sam some of their Samsung usually does a release uh, prior to Mobile World Congress, which is what we're going to see this year. I think it's February 11th. They're having their Samsung Unpacked Samsung event. Samsung Unpacked, yeah, okay. So that is, you know, phones are pretty nice uh, for reporting news on because they're very regular. Their release schedule, you know, it's pretty much like iPhone. We get that in the fall. You know, sometimes September, we get a Pixel in the fall. We get Samsung in the early spring in like February or March. And then we get one of them in August. You know, it's very regular every year updates. But it's interesting because there's trends that, you know, kind of will dictate the full year or, you know, maybe for a company, their new smartphones will fall, you know, all right, we're going to go with bigger cameras or we're going to go with better screens. And I'll kind of will, you know, ripple through the whole industry or the whole generation of smartphones. Uh, it's almost challenging, though, because often with these phones, 
the the manufacturers have been working on them and developing them well before they're actually announced. So they reach a point where they can't really pivot the design. And it's interesting to me that we actually do see these trends because that typically means like manufacturers have been working on similar ideas uh, almost alongside each other. And it's kind of interesting to see how the tech trickles out. Uh, yeah, before we get into this, like what what were some past trends we've seen and what do you think the trend will be this year for smartphones? Well, that's two very different questions, but let's go at past trends. You know, I think just going back in the past like four or five years, we've seen the the biggest thing I think is the thing you first see when you pick up your phone is A, it's gotten bigger, but when you first going to unlock it, we've also seen, you know, it's gone from a fingerprint. Well, first, I guess it was touchscreen when you, you just would swipe right, you, you would and have like your passcode. Four numbers. You remember like you'd get your muscle memory down just oh, counting so those numbers in. Or, oh my gosh. And then you had to go to six numbers. So do, 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 do. It's such but, a time waste thinking about it now. Like I never put that in. Yeah. I mean, well, sometimes it'll pop up and it'll say you need to enter it in yeah, order to enable this touch or face ID. But yeah, so we went from, you know, unlocking with a simple passcode, which is essentially just, you know, your ordinary like combination lock just digitized to then we went to a fingerprint. And now we have face ID as well as fingerprint which is slightly more advanced now, you know, with like in display and stuff like that. It's true. Yeah, we we basically went from, you know, standardized passcodes to biometrics. Uh, I guess the other thing, like if you think about smartphones in a, in a longer like 10 year time period, we kind of started out with these LCD screens and then those turned into LCD touchscreens. And then we got OLED displays and pretty much OLED is, I want to say for the most part, dominating the market. Uh, but, you know, there were some interesting articles about micro LED and Apple possibly working to develop those. And we we could see that. Um, it's, it's true. And also not, not only this, the screen like lighting uh, technology, but the screen itself. If you've gone back and used any of those older smartphones. I mean, they're they're plasticky. They feel so like cheap. It's amazing how premium and like good these screens are we're using now. Uh, yeah. And I think the iPhone 4, uh, to me, kind of started that with the Retina display. And then all of a sudden, like, we got super high pixel density displays in phones. That like that was dramatic transformation. Um, and yeah, I think I think those are some of the, the past trends we, we've seen. And I guess wireless charging. Samsung, I want to say Samsung pioneered that. Well, that's, yeah, it's weird because wireless charging has been around for, I, just, <laughs> like, I mean... An embarrassing amount of time, yeah, considering how long Qi, I haven't used it. <laughs> I remember Qi, like the standard being introduced back in like 2012, 2013. But iPhones only have gotten that in the past, what, four years, three years? It was, like it was even, I think three years. It was the iPhone 8, which came out three years ago, because it was the yeah. 8 and the 10, and then the 10s. now we're on the 11. So yeah, uh, those, those were some of the trends. And we, of course, with the iPhone 7, saw the loss of the headphone jack and that has unfortunately for a lot of people kind of trickled out to some of these higher end phones. Oddly, it's, it stays in a lot of the budget phones. So that's kind of interesting. What there, would but. you say is the biggest change and, and like trend of changes that you've seen of the past, you know, I guess we'll just say 10 years. That's pretty much smartphones. Uh, that has been the biggest to you, like in your daily use. I, th I think the screen is probably the number one. So because when you use a phone, you're staring at the screen and we went from small screens to kind of edge to edge screens to 
like notched screens. That was a pretty pretty oh, big yeah. jump right there. We're still we're still in that kind of in that notched phase. So I, I think the screen was probably uh, number one. I guess number two is design trend. I feel like before phones used to be very different, very distinct, uh, their own kind of personalities, and now we're basically like companies are pumping out just glass sandwiches, glass on the front, glass back for that wireless charging. And a lot of phones look really similar. That's my take. What I mean, do you do you have any do you agree? Do you do you have a different trend you would I would to? say I would say definitely this not only the screen quality but the size is the biggest thing for me. It's yeah, the biggest thing because it got oh, it got bigger, right? There we go. That's why. Yeah. No, it's it is really a big usability difference. Uh, you know, using a phone that has like a six inch display versus I mean, I recently grabbed up like you know an iphone 5 and just was playing around with it and oh my gosh i mean and that phone was considered big at the time so it's i I remember that in high school it was it was like oh my god i have a whole extra row of icons this is the like i'm basically holding a theater in my pocket the screen is so big and now like the entire phone fits inside the screen size of my current phone it's it's really that that's definitely the biggest switch not only for usability but for app makers designing their apps you know, they have more real estate. And because people are consuming so much video content via their phones, you know, it's a lot nicer to stare at a slightly bigger screen than like, a, you know, screen that's the size of a deck of cards. I would almost say the aspect ratio change was also huge because we went from the classic 16 by 9 to all of a sudden, hey, I think is it two by one? I think it's just all two, two by one. Two now. by one. Well, it's slowly been squeezing out longer and longer. And I, I was think actually, it's actually it's bigger than it's longer than two by one. It's a little yeah. bit taller. Well, it's getting it. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, slowly. It was it was even less than 16 by nine, though, originally. I mean, I thought some of those original phones were almost closer to four three, you know, like <laughs> like rectangular rather than the slightly elongated one. And that actually is a good transition to what we're seeing in the future, because I think one of the things we're going to slowly start to see more is them even get possibly a little bit thinner and longer. I know uh, Essential, which is kind of this fringe company they teased this phone that you know basically looks like i don't even know it's just like it's like two phones stacked kind of on top of each other it's so long and thin it doesn't look like a regular phone at all all. i would describe this as um almost like an apple tv remote yeah that's that kind of like it's that long and it's long narrow and thin and just make that a little bit bigger like make it a little bit longer and a little bit wider and like that's what this concept phone looks like. It's and, and you know, I think to your point, Gabe, you could be you could be right. It, it seems like the longer, taller form factor actually seems to work better for our hands. Uh, a lot of the interactions and controls have moved down in the interface, just towards the bottom of the screen. And with that, you have more real estate for your content, and you can still use it because all the buttons are right there at the bottom. So, uh, so that's one trend you're thinking we're going to see this year, possibly taller longer screens I, I yeah i think so i mean maybe not drastically like the essential phone i kind of is an extreme concept <laughs> they're doing their own thing yeah but you kind of have to if you're you know not a mainstream company but i definitely think the you know they'll get a little longer a little taller i also think we'll uh continue to see like you said the oled screens and possibly the uh, micro led screens start to infiltrate yeah, I think I was reading that Apple started, they have their whole, like a whole team doing research on, I think it's micro LED. Yeah, micro LED for their Apple Watch. And I think it'll be a couple of years, but soon I could see that coming out to 
the iPhone and then maybe even the iPad, maybe even their Mac laptops. And that would be huge. I mean, those screens, super high contrast, super vibrant colors. And that would, I mean, that would just be an absolute joy to use. Um, but I think, I mean, for me, I almost want to say this is the year of 90 hertz or 120 hertz. I think that's really the next, like that's the next big thing in my mind. We've had 60 hertz phones for a while. OnePlus really came out this year, very strong, or I guess last year, last year, 2019, very strong with their OnePlus 7, 7T, and 7T Pro phones. And those all had 90 hertz displays. And using those, it just felt so fast. Like the phone. Well, it's, it's, it's smoother. Everything is, you know, quicker to respond. And I th- the reason we're seeing that is most likely because they're finally getting it so it can be power efficient, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I hope so. I mean, that's the thing that like, if you had a choice between a 120 hertz display and better battery life, what do you think you would choose? Yeah, right. That's, I would probably... I would probably go with the better battery life, honestly. That's that's honestly what I would, I mean, using it, it would, I mean, but I'm using a 60 hertz display refresh now and it's fine. So yeah. I think the better battery life is honestly what I would go for. I, that's, I think that's what the companies are also working with. Like they could have probably brought, you know, those faster refresh rate screens a couple of years ago, but you know, it would have tanked the battery life. <laughs> like best 10 minutes of your life. Right, exactly. So, Look how so, smooth Twitter is. Oh. Oh yeah, great. That was I got enough just to page page through five tweets and then my battery died. So I think you know we saw the Apple Watch this year has that adjustable refresh rate screen, and I think we'll see that for at least for Apple that they're going to bring that to their devices so that you know you can when you're paging through something uh, or you're watching a video possibly or playing a you know video game it can be refreshing at that fast rate. But when you you know when your battery starts to get low. And you're just, you know, have it sitting there, uh, maybe just reading a news article slowly. You know, it can refresh at a lot slower rate, save you some battery life. Yeah, I think that that will be really important technology. Um, and I think even the Pixel 4 from last year, like Google didn't really say this, but the refresh rate will actually throttle back to 60 hertz. Um, True, I think if yeah. you're just like the brightness level is under a certain percentage. And I think, okay, another trend I actually want to say is, ooh, I don't know if I should put like dual screen phones or folding phones, but I think, I want, I'm going to say folding phones. I think 2019 will be the year of folding phones. I 2020, think, hold on. Oh, oh yeah, I'm getting my years mixed up because it was last, all right. I think were, you 20, saying, were you saying 2019 was the year of folding was introduced and 2020 I guess, dual yeah. screen? I mean... No, I think I think 2020 we had we're going to see the folding technology mature. That's really I think that's like before we had the beta, maybe even the alpha products, right? Because yep. the Note or excuse me, the Galaxy Fold, it was recalled, like it wasn't ready. And it, I it think, was like literally not even a final product. Yeah, it wasn't even yeah, they didn't they didn't make it. So I think in 2020, I think Samsung's refined the manufacturing they got a lot of feedback they understand how people are now using these devices and i think they're going to to introduce uh new folding phones and i think we're going to see that from other manufacturers as well i mean microsoft's coming out with their surface duo and that uh, is a dual screen approach to a folding phone and i think you know we're going to have the razor coming out and uh yeah i think i think 2020 will be the year that we'll see or start to see good or maybe just better folding phones and folding tech 
But for consumers, I does this really even have a, you know, an impact on their day-to-day usage or like what they're going to want to buy because for me personally, if I was looking at, you know, an iPhone folding, I mean, there's no signs that Apple's going to release a folding iPhone this year, but if I was looking at, all right, iPhone 2020 versus, you know, a folding iPhone and they're even if they were the same price and the folding one wasn't more expensive, I would most likely just go for the regular one because I feel like it's at least for the time being, it's, you know, it's a tried and tested form. You know, it works. I like it. I don't really see any reason to go with two screens at this point. And it's this regular version is more durable. So for me, they haven't really made the argument yet of why I need two screens. Yeah, yeah. It's not better. Folding, it's just yeah. it's just new and different. And it's like cool for tech people into tech like, oh, man, this is this is the bleeding edge. But you, you haven't really taken the time to step back and ask is is this better? Like, is, does this actually make sense? Yeah. Is this improving the user experience in any way? Are you are you doing things you previously couldn't do? So I think I think that's a good point. Um, will we will we see them make that argument better this year and refine that argument to the point where more people want to jump in, or do you think that's going to take a couple more years? I think it's going to take a couple more years because you know, as you mentioned, with the screen sizes, developers with the new size had to then optimize their apps. And I think the same thing is true with a, a folding phone or even a dual screen phone. The software needs to be optimized. The apps need to be optimized to take advantage of that, uh, of the processing power or, or the new the new features for multitasking or, or whatever these manufacturers are introducing. And I think really the experience won't be refined until 2021. That's that's what I'm thinking. And But we'll, what will we see for phones this year? It looks like, I mean, we know the Galaxy Fold uh, 2 or whatever they're going to call it, the Z Flip is possibly coming out, I think, at this February 11th Unpacked event, I think, right? Yeah, I think I'd love to just kind of take some time to go through these. So I think uh, coming up this month, actually, so we're looking at the Samsung Unpacked event, and we're going to look at the Galaxy S20. Well, let, let's just talk about the folding phones that we're going to see. Okay, this yeah, folding phones, perfect. So Galaxy Fold 2, I've seen some uh, saying the Galaxy Z Flip, and from what I've seen in the concept renders... We could be looking at, instead of one phone, actually two phones. We could have the Fold 2, and we could have the Galaxy Z Flip. And my understanding of the current differences is the Fold 2 will be just a second-generation Galaxy Fold, kind of folds up like a book, and the Z Flip will be more similar to a flip phone, like the Motorola Razr, uh, that will actually be a vertical flip. And I, th- I think, based on the rumors and the renders I've seen, uh, those could be the two possibilities we see at Samsung Unpacked. And will we also, will be? you said the Motorola Razr, uh, we'll be seeing that later this year, right, too? Yeah, yeah, I think we'll we'll be seeing that later this year. I, I put it, I think, tentatively around April. I think they're hoping for, like, a spring release. Do you do you have any information on that or, or more? Uh, not really. I mean, I know it's, they announced it in the fall to try to get ahead of, you know, other ones, but now the phone, I feel like, has sat around for a little bit. Uh, you know, they haven't been, you know, updating it, new, new production specs and such. So it's going to be kind of like the Autel Eva 2 drone where it's going to be slightly like, you know, not as, not as flashy when it gets to market, actually. I mean, I still think the folding design of the hinge is kind of cool. Um, and is a novel approach, but yeah, I don't think that this is going to be, uh, all, all that uh, people thought it'd be originally. I, I really think it's going to tank. I think I've, I've heard like a rumored fifteen hundred or eighteen hundred dollar price tag. And to be honest with you, Gabe, like this Motorola Razor 
because it was in development for so long and then announced so early, it's now actually, it has older specs. Like the phone itself yeah. isn't going to be that powerful. And I just don't think it's going to be a good experience. So, um, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's like a little bit sad to see, but I know uh, one phone that was announced last year. What is it? The Neo or the Duo by Microsoft? It is, it is the Duo. Yeah. Tell me more about the Duo. That one looks like that because they didn't really release specs on it. And, you know, they didn't release this is our production model. Now we're just going to go make it kind of like Motorola. They just said, all right, this is what it's going to look like. Now it's coming out in 2020. And that's, uh, like you said earlier, the dual screen, th that's more of that approach to folding than actually the one folding screen. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that. Which folding phone do you think you'd be most excited for? Which one do you think uh, you would end up? I mean, I'm assuming you're not actually going to purchase any of them, but like of these folding phones, which one are you most excited about or, or which one do you think is doing it best? Because we have the book fold, we have the vertical fold. And then we have the dual screen fold. What, yeah, what's your take? I would uh, probably want to go with the dual screen fold just because it seems at this point more reliable. You still get, you know, the premium quality glass screens versus the Samsung Galaxy Fold has like that plastic screen. Uh, still, I was just thinking about it though. I mean, I'll, I'll turn the question back to you in a second, but I was just thinking that, you know, Apple is always criticized because they're so late to come to market with like, all right, you know, it's uh whatever the, you know, fingerprint readers are the last ones to get it to market. Or, you know, right now their phones are shooting 12 megapixel sensors where everyone else is up in the forties or higher and they'll be, you know, late to the party there. But what they do very well is they, you know, refine it and get it to the point where once they bring it and introduce it as a product or as like a new feature, it's, done so well and they've learned from all the mistakes that all the other companies have made that it's yeah it's just it's not i won't say perfect because that's going to sound like an apple fanboy but it's done very well that they don't have all the issues that other companies go through you know like if samsung right they release the fold and they release the fold too you're like oh well they're at least they're innovating continuing but a lot of times with a product like that and when you're continuing a product line issues that popped up in the first one will still persist in the second and third just because you're trying to continue with the same form factor the same you know internal structure stuff like that whereas if you're starting from the ground up bringing a new product that's you've learned all these other things from other companies you're starting on a very good uh, foundation yeah i think to samsung's they would have to basically almost scrap the design of their fold and start over and that i mean i don't think they can do it they announced the fold so early to be one of the first if not I think they were the first commercially the first, yeah. available folding phone. And, um, you know, they, they did that and good for them. Uh, you know, props to them for, for pulling that off. But I think to really refine the user experience, you, you do kind of have to see, you know, how the market responds to these things, how people are using them, what the biggest flaws and drawbacks have been. And then with that information, you can then pioneer or begin to build a better version of the folding phone. So, in a sense, Samsung is uh, paving the way for Apple. Like Apple can see what's working, what's not working, and then implement that feedback into their own product. Uh, but Samsung, they either have to like refine and improve the fold or just take the feedback and come out with a totally new phone, which could be the the Galaxy Z Flip. The Z Flip, right? that's what I was going to say. Like, would you consider that one? Um, yeah, yeah. actually, I'm like kind of answering my own question uh, or having you ask it uh I would I would go with the vertical flip. And the reason I think I would go with the vertical flip 
is because if you're using a dual screen phone, I feel like that's almost, it's almost like using two iPad minis. They're like, they're chunky. And I don't think physically my fingers and hands could comfortably hold and use that kind of form factor. Like, I just don't know how I would use it. And and so the Z Flip or a flip phone like the Razer, it basically is a regular smartphone form factor uh, that just folds in half. And I already know how to use a, a regular smartphone. And I think that to me would provide the best experience. So that's with, what I would go with, for. And with screens getting longer, like we said, you know, and taller and thinner, that seems to make the most sense too. Yeah, because then suddenly it's super long and tall and you get all that great content when you need it. And when you don't, boop, just fold it right back up, slide it into your pocket. And I, I guess a, another weird perk of these phones is the Motorola Razr has a screen. I, I don't know how to describe it. It's when it's closed, the clamshell is closed, the screen is on the top where the camera is. And all of a sudden, you can see yourself while you're taking a picture with that main camera. So I think that's actually kind of like an added benefit is potentially having a screen on the back um, and getting better so photos need, that way. So you only need one camera. You may only yeah. need one camera for video calls and stuff. I mean, you'd want one on the front. True. But you could then use the higher quality 48 or 108 megapixel camera uh, just to take your, your selfie photos in a sense and get way better image quality. That's what I would go for. So what phone now moving away from folding phones uh, to your main like, you know, flagship phones from uh, each company? What one are you thinking will be the most exciting advancements we'll see this year? You know, because it seems like for every company they have, you know, one year is like, all right, this is the big, you know, updates with new features, new specs. And then the next year is kind of like, all right, let's just refine it a little bit and make some small tweaks for me. You know, there are so many phones that get released every year, and so many of them go under the radar, particularly Samsung's budget phones, I want to say. I'm an Apple fanboy, and so I'm obviously excited for the iPhone. Um, and that could be huge because this is the year we're expecting to see a physical hardware redesign with the iPhone 2020. Um, but to be honest, I do feel like it may be more incremental in updates. Like, I'm not sure exactly what we'll see. I think. Maybe we'll get that higher refresh rate display, 120 hertz, 90 hertz, uh, maybe 5G. But I guess physical hardware of the iPhone 2020, if they're able to get rid of the notch or maybe they'll add in the underscreen fingerprint reader, I think that could be really cool. But I want to actually go a different route. I think my answer to this question, it'll either be the Pixel 4a bringing amazing camera quality at an affordable price or maybe even the Pixel 5 because because the Pixel 4 was just so bad. That's what you took you took mine. I was going to say that. Oh no, yeah. I didn't mean to take it, Gabe. It's all uh, right. <sighs> yeah, I just you felt great minds think alike. I just felt so I mean, yeah, do you want to do you want to explain it then? I kind of talked about the iPhone and and how I mean, well, it's basically like you, what you're going to say is I'm imagining is that the Pixel 4 was just such a disappointment that basically anything they release for the Pixel 5 is going to be, you know, a hugely market like huge improvement over uh the previous generation and to get up to you know to the same level as other manufacturers and other flagship phones they're gonna have to make such a jump that it's gonna be that's gonna be the big phone of this year i feel like uh, yeah I, i'm completely I on board with you and yeah that's i think that's gonna be the move i mean i just think the overall improvement like it's gonna get the most improved player award for sure i hope i mean i hope right <laughs> will we see all 
uh, manufacturers jumping to that, you know, super high 108 megapixels, 60 megapixels, 40 megapixels? Or do you think people like Apple and Google are still going to hang around on those lower megapixel counts and just work on pr- improving like the software, the lenses and stuff like that? That's the interesting. Yeah, thing, I, I think, think that is a good point. So uh, I guess to comment on this, we basically saw, I think it's Sony, right? Sony manufactures the the sensor. Yeah, Sony is by far, I mean, they manufacture sensors for Canon. They manufacture all the sensors in your smartphone. Like Sony pretty much makes the majority of sensors out in the world for cameras. That's amazing. So yeah, so Sony made the 108 megapixel sensor and the 48 megapixel sensor. Yep. And I, to be honest, I think we'll just see kind of like uh, Snapdragon. Snapdragon, or I guess Qualcomm, excuse me. Qualcomm made the Snapdragon. It's the 865. I think. And, um, you know, that's just going to be used by all the major flagships. Like that's the processor of the year. That's going to be the fastest, the bleeding edge. And I think the same is true with the camera. I think this 108 megapixel sensor, it's just going to be the best bleeding edge camera that's going to be out. So I do feel like most, if not all Android flagships will incorporate uh, this camera sensor, which means everyone is suddenly going to have 108 megapixel photos on their phone. How wild is that? Well, I think it doesn't actually use the 108 megapixels all the time. Like you have to put it into a specific mode because I I think we've talked about it before on the podcast, how these new super high resolution sensors work is basically they're super small. So up till now, the reason why you haven't seen those high resolution counts is if they did that, you'd get the most grainy photos possible because those pixels are absolutely tiny. If you, you know, the, I think a smartphone camera sensor is like maybe this, like, like a quarter the size of a dime probably even like they're so small yeah Yeah. you can easily fit them on like a dime and have room for like five more around them so they're absolutely tiny and what they're doing with these new ones is they're actually finding ways to group you know if you have a 48 megapixel sensor for example they're grouping them so that it's actually you know groups of four pixels into one can be using for a 12 megapixel sensor if it's low light but if you have, you know, good lighting and stuff and you really want the high megapixel count, they can actually read each pixel independently so they can be at 48 megapixels. So it's basically finding ways to group megapixels or pixels into one uh, for, you know, to get the same effect as having a lower resolution sensor, but then able to separate them and use them for a high resolution readout. Yeah. And I mean, I think with that implementation, I think this sensor will perform really well and therefore just be used on all the devices. So yeah, that's my take. Do you, I mean, do you see this proliferating across all the flagships? Like it, it's spreading like the, the triple camera setup that we saw spread like a disease last year. It's kind of hard. I mean, I guess, yeah, you, you're going to just assume that it's going to, especially for Android, it's going to just kind of spread across, you know, for Samsung, Huawei, you know, Motorola, um, what, who else is there out there? Uh, LG, you know, HTC, is HTC even around? I don't think so. Really. Oh, whoa. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, they honestly fell off the they got, radar. They for got me. bought by Google. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you're, you're like, you know, your main Android manufacturers are definitely going to, or Xiaomi as well, are going to be switching to the 108 uh, process or sensor on their flagship models. The question really, I think is Google and I, and Apple, you know, on their models. Yeah, I, I don't think Apple's going to be using this one. I don't think it makes sense to them. I, I think, think they they'll definitely up their megapixel count. I think that's pretty much a given. You think so? I mean, I I, I think we'll feel... see. I think we'll see twenty megapixels at least, possibly even thirty. 
on the main main camera, I still think that you know the telephoto and the wide angle might stick with a lower uh, resolution sensors. But it's kind of hard at this point when you know these other Android phones are coming out with sensors that are almost ten times the amount of megapixels as your sensor. I mean, I know it's not all about megapixels, but it's it comes to a point where you know your average consumer is like, um, hold on a second, why would I buy this one phone over the other? I I think I disagree with that. My take is I think Apple has proved over the past couple of years that megapixels don't really matter. I think they'll focus more or continue to focus on color science, making all of their lenses uh, look the same, which is you know actually surprising uh, how dramatic this is. So the new iPhone 11 Pro and the iPhone 11, they have the ultra wide, the regular, and the Pro has the telephoto, but the the difference between a wide, an ultra wide, and a regular is can be dramatic on some Android flagships. Like I think the OnePlus phone, if you go to that ultra wide, the image quality just falls apart. So I think Apple will actually focus on making all cameras consistent, great, high quality, and that will be their selling point to me. And also, I guess the other uh, camera trend we've seen is that optical zoom that's like using the uh, you know the mirrors within the lens to warp it and bend it around so you get actually a 5x optical zoom in something that's like you know doesn't even protrude from the back of the smartphone so that obviously is going to be coming to more android phones will apple introduce something like that possibly that's a great question i could see that i think um you know i i enjoy the telephoto lens that look that closer to 50 millimeter look and so i think I think they could do something like that, uh, something cool. They also pretty much lead the pack in terms of video quality. I could, I could definitely see them going maybe in a more video-oriented route. Get a, as well. get a 6K video, do you think? Yeah, ma- I mean, why not, right? You know, 4K was introduced in 2015 with the iPhone 6S, and it's been, you know, five years. I don't see why not. You know, upgrade that to 6K. Or, I, or do I think we, I think we'd probably see 5.3K or 5.7K first. Though. I don't think they'd go right to 6K. Sure. That's a weird number, though. So maybe I would almost say they would skip it. Like they'd go 4K and then when they're ready to do 6K, they just do all out. And that could I mean, that could be in a couple of years. Gabe, I, this is an interesting question. Do you think we'll ever see phones get proper zooming lenses like on a point and shoot camera that can just physically zoom in and zoom out? No, I don't think that will ever happen, mainly because just form factor. You don't want to have a you know, some like there's no way to really do that. It's all like optics based around, you know, having to have a certain distance between each glass element to get the right zoom. So the only way up till now has been either digitally or now with the new, you know, using the mirrors to bend it around inside the lens and then, you know, bend it, bounce that light out. So I don't think we'll ever see it. The only thing that I was going to say, though, is folding phones might present some way to have it so that it folds and, you know, there's a space in the phone where the lens can kind of disappear into or, you know, it makes basically because you're folding the phone in half, potentially, there could be some way that, you know, the lens sits in this little like cutout on the other side of the phone or something like sure, that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll have to wait and see. I tend to agree with you. I just, you know, I heard that come up on another podcast and I thought, you know, it was interesting and, and I'd ask, but I, I actually do agree with you. I, I think we're more likely to see phones get like six cameras with the same with the same or with different focal lengths to accommodate for that. So you can just switch between the different lenses 
as opposed to getting a, a proper zoom lens. How many cameras do you think we will see on phones this year? Yeah, right. What will be the maximum amount of that? Because last year we saw the jump from three to four, actually, and even five with the just when you have the like the, the light sensing sensor as well. Um, I think I think we'll definitely start seeing some more four camera arrays, which is basically you get the ultra wide, the wide regular one, um, the telephoto, and then you get one that's actually black and white. That's better for that, um, the low light and just, you know, compensating for the fact that you're packing a ton of pixels onto one sensor. You can have, a, you know, a two megapixel sensor that's low light uh, and black and white. So that, you know, that'll help give a better readout there. Or you could also have, um, you know, the inclusion. I think that isn't it rumored that the iPhone will have a 3D sensing array potentially on the back uh, for, you know, the ability to have more AR stuff on apps and etc on the I I think I actually agree with you there. I think three cameras is honestly like that those focal lengths are all that we need and it's just a matter of adding some extra sensors and elements to really get depth data because we're using that depth data for AR as you mentioned and for better portrait mode. Samsung last year on I want to say their Note 10, they introduced portrait mode during video recording, which is absolutely wild. I never, I never actually ended up watching reviews to see how well that worked, but I do think we'll basically see three camera sensors, maybe a fourth for black and white, and then a couple extra for some, uh, some additional depth data. And I guess if you count like the front facing, I almost want to see like a better like ultra wide angle front facing selfie camera. I think it's such a fun lens to use and it's so great for video calling uh, that I, I would almost want to see like two cameras on the front just for that. Yeah, that 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 would be pretty interesting seeing, you know, portrait mode on the front or some I mean, you already have the face mapping on the front, right, for the face ID unlock. So I guess yeah. it's just kind of making those two work together better. But, you know, we've been talking a lot about flagship phones. One thing I've been thinking, actually, as I've looked at, like, what phones we're going to see this year is that we'll see a lot more budget phones kind of coming out. As a result of companies noticing that, oh, our prices have gone up, you know, people have stopped upgrading every two, three years to now waiting four or five years. Let's try to give them some more budget phones so we can get them coming back more often. And I mean, it, starting off with just Apple, they're going to be releasing a phone that's going to be possibly under $500, which is basically unheard of in the past, you know, three years or four years of Apple iPhones. Well, I think... Right, they their most recent one was the iPhone SE. I guess wow, was that like actually five? It was twenty sixteen when it came out, so four, four years, four ago, years yeah, ago. Three, four wow. years ago. Yeah, yeah. I guess it isn't unheard of because they did the iPhone five C, and then they did the iPhone SE. Um, but yeah, so what, Gabe? What are we looking at for the iPhone that's coming out? The budget iPhone this year. When is that happening? And I guess what like what is there to get excited about? Like why are we excited about this phone? I mean, there's not uh, much to get excited about. As in, it's not going to see like any you know bleeding edge specs or incredible features. But it's basically going to be like a slightly updated version of the iPhone 8, which is why some people think it's going to be called the iPhone 9 or even the iPhone 8s. Possibly, you know, we're not really sure on the name, but it'll basically yeah be the similar to the iPhone 8 design. You know, same type of, with the screen. Uh, most likely, I think Touch ID in there, uh, and then it's going to have, of course, though a faster chip, so that it can have, you know, the ability to run all the apps and, you know, 
work like a current smartphone, just not have, you know, six cameras on the back and, you know, all the bells and whistles. Yeah, I was thinking or reading it would have the same processor as the iPhone 11. So it would be a really fast phone. And I think the same camera as well. So really, the only compromise is the design. You're getting a stale, basically five-year-old phone design at this point. Um, but you're getting such great performance and specs and image quality at a reasonable price for yeah, Apple. It's, that- it's kind of like the, it's kind of like they took like a you know five year old Honda, right, and then gutted the chassis, left this use the same chassis though and, and same body design and everything, but put in you know a new new engine with that's more efficient and everything. Put in a new operating like computer system in the car and stuff like that. But it's still your basic shape and design of the old uh, car. Uh, this actually prompts a question that I was thinking about. You know, of these phones, quickly going through a couple, you know, we're going to have the Samsung flagships, the S20, the Fold, we're going to have the Note 20, we're going to have the iPhone 9 or the budget iPhone, and then the flagship iPhones of this year. Of course, we're going to have Google's Pixel phones, OnePlus 8 phones, and the Microsoft Duo. Out of all these devices, which one do you think is going to provide the best user experience? That is, you know, that's that w- I'd be inclined to f- go iPhone because I generally think they provide better user experiences. And if I was going to go with an Android, I would definitely say not one of the folding phones because those are, again, very, you know, beta products, you know, kind of testing out the concept. I would probably go with uh maybe a pixel or the one plus i think one plus has really been working you know with their one plus eight one plus eight pro possibly they've really been working on the user experience and making a product that works well i mean the fact that they were one of the first companies to include that faster refresh rate they were looking at oh this is something that you know makes it better to use easier to scroll through you know easier to look at so i think possibly that but also if you look at google the stuff they've been doing with trying to make their phones uh, have the ability to, you know, help people reduce their usage time and stuff like that. With what do they call it? The like Google, um, Google, like, it's digital well-being. Yeah, the digital well-being app and and the you know releasing certain new apps in that suite in that area. I think that could be also uh, one of the you know phones to watch the Pixel Five. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this, and what, what prompted the question was, you know, what are what are the best budget phones, or you know, what are the budget phones coming out this year? And I think the budget phones actually provide a better user experience than the flagship phones. And hear me out. Think of like the Pixel, for example. Pixel okay. 4a rumored to have a fingerprint reader on the back, a headphone jack, and you know, those two little things. Just make the phone so much better to use. You can plug in your headphones. You can aux in the car. And the fingerprint reader on the back is so much, it's the perfect location. The phone is unlocked as you're taking it out of your pocket. It feels comfortable and great. As opposed to, you know, you mentioned OnePlus. They've done great things with their software, but having an underneath the screen fingerprint reader, like the phone needs to shine light on your fingerprint to get an actual readout. So if it's darker outside or you just wake up in the morning, you want to unlock your phone, you put your finger on the screen and boom, suddenly it's just blinding a super bright portion well, of the Well, what screen. I was saying is because they've had that in the past year, right, with their stuff, I think this year they might have improved that to where it's a better user experience. I, you know, I guess I could see that, but I, I really do like even the, the budget iPhone, like I think just 
touch ID. It's a it's a tried and true design. It's going to be a, a great experience. So, and and like, I don't know. How do you feel? How do you feel about underneath the screen fingerprint readers? Do you think the iPhone this year will have one? Do you think they're the right move? Are they better than the the fingerprint readers we had in the past? I'm not really sold on them yet because they seem still very like you haven't really once you see a concept and like a like a design feature become really standard in the industry like the way we saw the original touch id where it was kind of like all right there's a button or a certain area where you touch um and that's going to be how you you know it scans your fingerprint all right that's good with the kind of invisible touch id or fingerprint sensors we haven't really seen any you know kind of design trend take off or any way of you know really executing that that has become standardized and that's because companies are still searching for a way to really do this well and to do this inexpensively. So I think that's that's really my take on that is that it's not to the point where it's going to become something that's easier because every company is still looking for the right way. I think they would have to do it almost on the entire bottom half of the display. Like I well, just, didn't we see didn't we see one company do that? Yeah, they had a, a pretty large area. I want to say it was demoed at a tech conference i can't remember the details of that but yeah i mean with a physical home button there's an indentation where you can feel where the fingerprint reader is and you can kind of rest it there as you're taking it out of your pocket and it's the phone's unlocked and ready to go with the screen you basically have to turn the screen on see where to place your finger and then you're into the phone it in my opinion it adds extra steps and takes longer so if it was let's say the bottom half of the screen, then suddenly you can just take your phone out and slap your finger down and hopefully you'd be good to go. So yeah, I think it needs to either mature or I would I would uh, advocate for just bringing back the, you know, rear-facing fingerprint readers. That's that's my hot I don't take. know. I, I, I never was really a fan of the rear-facing fingerprint readers because if you have your phone sitting on a table, right, where it's, you know, face up and you just want to, I mean, touch, I mean, face ID for one isn't optimal there oftentimes because you have to like, you have to lean, lean over. over. Yeah, right. <laughs> how and awkward like is that? How frequently do you do that? Like, what is going on? Oh, it happens way too much for me. But so I think the, that was my main gripe with the back uh, placed fingerprint sensor is that you have to flip over your phone or slide your finger underneath in order to, you know, unlock your phone. I, I mean, I guess you can use a passcode, but that, the whole point is to not do that. So. I think I think really that's why the back placed fingerprint sensors. Or what about if they could just make them anywhere? You just literally touch your phone and it scans your hand or whatever. <laughs> it's palm based, maybe Biometrics. palm based on the back. I don't know. Yeah. I, I okay. Well, what about the face? No, this is this is actually the serious question that we have to answer. What are they doing with their naming schema this year? Because oh, a lot yeah. of companies are going to 2020 or something based off 20, as it's you know a pretty you know, cool, like beginning of the decade way to mark that this is a new, exciting phone. However, what the hell is this going to do to their, you know, the current pattern that they've been doing of counting up if they go from like 11 and 12 or, you know, wherever they are in their, you know, sequence to 20. What do they do then? 20, 2021? Do they go back in time? Or I mean, or no, I guess you then do we now actually finally get into them naming them after the year then? Maybe. I think that's that's my take. Well, some of them are just ignoring it completely, like Huawei. They're going to announce or you, their, their... Or people. do you then get, you could get 20, you would get like the iPhone 2020 Mark II or Gen 2 or whatever, or 2020S, and that's coming out in 2022. <laughs> you know, it, it just, 
Yeah, it, it could get really bad is my worry. Yeah, I, you know, I guess that is true because if they do the year this year, the problem isn't really next year. It's that many phone companies, and OnePlus is a great example of this, they'll, they'll do like a pro phone and then they'll do like a more budget phone. And then how do you name those? Like we'll have the the 2020s the 2020 pro max and then i guess next year i mean maybe they do do it by year you know it's just the 2020 pro and the the 2020 and then the 2020 i mean that that does for people you know for companies like apple or for samsung and you know ones that are already getting up super high in the numbers and have kind of messed up their whole naming thing by trying to do an x and trying to do stuff like that I think that actually does make the most sense. You know, they're releasing a, usually pretty much a pro smartphone every year. They're releasing a large smartphone, a smaller smartphone, and then they're releasing a budget smartphone. Doing it just by the year and then coming up with, all right, we're calling one the pro, one the XL, one the, you know, just the standard one, and maybe one the the E or the, you know, economy or light or something like that. That to me would make everything so much easier. At a glance, you could tell what year a phone was released. Uh, you could know exactly what to look for. So that is what I would be in favor for. Okay, plot test. What if they just start counting down? They would. I mean, you just keep dividing it indefinitely. Yeah, yeah. You just go down. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think that would work. And also, we'll have I another, think we'll have another all, iPhone ten. In all seriousness, yeah, just keep going up and up, and then when they get to a certain point, go down. That would no. That, that's not, okay. We can we can rule that out. That's not going to happen. I, I well actually hold on. They were going to just release the iPhone nine, so that is kind of going down. Well, it's up from the eight, but they already had the ten. But the ten was a Roman. And they numeral, already had so the eleven. They already had the eleven though, and that wasn't a Roman numeral. Oh yeah, this it's it, it is getting messy. That's the big thing. But I don't think they're going to switch over to years. Actually, even while they might do a twenty twenty edition or you know a twenty edition, I don't think they're going to switch to years because. The big thing for phone companies is they want to be able to release a phone like Apple does, you know, or Samsung does in, you know, the third, fourth quarter of the year and still be able to sell that phone in the first and second quarter of the next year, right? So if they release the iPhone 2020 and then, you know, next pe- next year people are looking in May to buy an iPhone, they're like, I don't want to buy the iPhone 2020. It's like the reminder is right in the title of the phone. Yeah, it was, oh, it's last year's phone. I don't want that versus the iPhone 11. Oh, it's the new iPhone. Of course, I want the exactly. latest and greatest iPhone. That is a great point, Gabe. Well, I don't know. I think, well, Samsung, it seems like they're going to do it this year with the S20. But would they go back next year and then do the S? What are they on? Would it be the S12, the S13? That yeah, seems that weird. Would- it's well, and then, but the really confusing thing is, is, didn't they have phones that were called like the A20 or the A30 or something like oh, that? Oh, yeah, their budget line, like the J20. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, they. So, this is, this is actually the thing that smartphone companies really need to work on. Put all your money to developing an actual naming scheme that makes sense, is good for your marketing, and is sustainable in the future. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting challenge. It is an interesting challenge for sure. Um, and I mean, maybe what if they just drop the number altogether? And just call it the iPhone. It's and the then new next iPhone. Year you also have the iPhone. Yeah. yeah. Or the, you have the Samsung Galaxy. Remember when they did that for iPad? It was just the new iPad. That was also yeah, confusing. True. 
But then is it called then is it called the new iPhone? Or is it just called the iPhone? <laughs> it's the new iPhone this year, everybody. And then next year, it's the new new iPhone. New iPhone. It's the yeah. new 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 iPhone. Well, I guess like I was my thinking was for their computer lineup. They have the MacBook, the MacBook Pro, and the MacBook Air. And that but the thing the thing is, I think with that is that they aren't trying to get people to upgrade every year, and they also aren't releasing upgrades every year. Yeah, this is true. This is right. true. All right, okay. Yeah, I mean, that's why we spent more time talking about this than any other aspect of the phones coming out next year, it, because this is actually the most complicated thing. It doesn't sound like I do not have a clear answer. I I mean, the year seems to make the most sense to me, but to your point about. Just that mindset, like, oh, I don't want to get last year's phone. That maybe they'll just go back to numbers. Yeah, yeah. That right. I don't know. I just I do so, not know. Yeah, the two two last things uh, is will we see a new operating system start making way from Huawei? You know, will they will that actually be good? Yeah. And will we see Apple go to USB C? Okay, I have. I have two opinions on this, and I'll I'll be very interested to hear your take. I think from Huawei, we will see a new operating system because their biggest market, I think, is in China. And I think they could easily, you know, drop Android, build their own system, have their own apps, and actually do quite well. So that's, that's my hot take there. Um, you know, the P40 Pro that's rumored to come out this year around March, I think it'll, it'll do well in, uh, in China in that uh, marketplace. And for the iPhone getting USB Type-C, my take is this. I've heard that the UK is implementing new legislation mandating... Well, not, not, the, uh, not the UK, the EU, I Excuse think, right? me, yeah, excuse yeah. me. The EU is making which, new which actually, Which actually now no longer includes the UK. <laughs> oh, how ironic is that? Oh, yeah. I'm so misinformed. Anyway, I think because of the new legislation... I think Apple will continue doing USB-C, but include a dongle in the box. No, you mean include Lightning. Or oh, keep doing yeah. Lightning. Wow. All right. All right. So I think Apple will continue doing Lightning and include a Lightning to USB-C adapter in the box. That's my take. I, I, I probably agree with you there because I even though they have switched over the iPad Pro to USB-C, they still have most of the iPad line on the original Lightning. And I think that's currently the way they're going to keep going. A, because they can keep selling, you know, those lightning cables for so much money that people buy rather than being, you know, having the market flooded with USB-C cables. And also because they, you know, actually their AirPods also use uh, lightning. Yeah, well, cartridge. here's the thing. So Their iPads, the non-pro iPads use lightning. Their phones use lightning. Their AirPods use lightning. Their Beats use lightning. Their Magic keyboards use lightning. And as silly as it looks, their Magic Mice, Magic Mouse uses lightning. All of these accessories use lightning. So I just don't see them switching to USB Type-C. I think they're either going to throw an adapter in there or they're just going to they're just going to do no ports at all on the iPhone. Yeah, yeah, and, and it is kind of actually a nice thing for their loyal Apple users because I know, uh, like if you if you pick up the iPad Pro or something, you're probably a little more experienced. But you know, if you pick it up and you're not, and it's kind of a bit of a shock to be like, oh wait, how do I even plug this in? Like, yeah, what do like, I use? You put a lightning cable in there and it just doesn't fit. Like it kind of rattles yeah. around. Like, well, what is going on? 
So I can definitely see, you know, with their more mainstream products that it's a bread and butter, them not wanting to upset, you know, their loyal user base by making them switch all their cables over all of a sudden or carry around two sets of cables. Yeah, I'd be okay with an adapter though, because that suddenly means like having that adapter means I can use the same charger and the same cable and it's just a matter True. of throwing the adapter on. So yeah, yeah I think. Yeah, I guess. We'll have to wait and see. We definitely won't see that in the iPhone 9 or SE. That would be maybe in the 2020 iPhone or whatever. Sure, yeah, later it. later in the year. Yeah, but I think that's all I have. Do you have any 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 closing remarks? Any anything else? No, I mean, well, actually, the one thing I was thinking when we were making up notes and researching for this episode is we didn't actually touch on Energizer's phones. And I know last year at Mobile oh World my Congress, God. Energizer, which I may remind people, is the company that makes batteries. They released like 40 different phone models last year at Mobile World Congress, and we never really kind of touched back on them. So I guess you'll have to wait till our Mobile World Congress wrap up episode later this month to hear about that. But I I don't know. That just was kind of like a shock, kind of like TCL releasing all their phones this year. These are even more budget phones, but they're from a company you wouldn't expect. Yeah, sometimes, you know, new products come out. And you just forget to track them. So I'd be interested to hear the Energizer story, how well the phones did, and if they have a new herd of 40 new budget phones ready to, to take on the market with their uh, Energizer bunny. So we'll keep our eyes out for that. Anyway, yeah. that's going to wrap up this episode. Uh, be sure to follow us on social media at Pinch to Zoom Pod on Twitter at Pinch to Zoom Pod. Wait, is it? It's Pinch to Zoom Podcast. Pinch to Zoom pod on Twitter, Pinch to Zoom podcast on Instagram. Instagram. Okay. Yeah. And then email us, pinch to Zoom podcast at gmail.com. And yeah, I think that's we, it. Yeah. We, we even have a website too, if you want to check out the website. It's not very extensive, so don't go expecting much. And we're also on YouTube. I know some people actually like listening to podcasts on YouTube. I personally am not a big fan of it, but it's pretty incredible how much uh, views and stuff some of the top podcasts get on YouTube. And it makes actually... I guess our ending question would be, would you expect YouTube to ever leverage that and launch a like specific podcast platform? Or even like when you, I know when you're uploading a video to YouTube, they don't have a category for podcasts. I, I mean, I feel like we could somehow incorporate this and turn it into its own episode. But what I love about YouTube is you have comments and people can leave comments and discuss the topic of the video or the topic of the podcast and, and provide feedback and input. So I would love to see YouTube optimize uh, and take advantage of this opportunity. So that I don't know. That's my quick remark. We don't want to get too into it as we're closing out here. Uh, but yeah, that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm Stetson. I'm Gabe. And we look forward to speaking with you in the next episode. I was going to say the recording the ending of the podcast is almost harder than recording the actual podcast. True. Yeah, that's just the recording the podcast is just the warm up for trying to record the ending. Yeah, thank God we have a great editor, right, Gabe? Thank God I'm not going to be able to use any of this because it's far too long to be actually used as an ending of an episode.